going on, everybody? Welcome to the 111th episode of Tasteful Profanity. As always, this is a Beast Pro production. My name is Mike, and with me, per usual, John David Fraley. John, what's going on? 111, episode 111. Put those all together, you get three. Three is Russell Wilson. This is the Russell no, it's Wilson the episode. the number of points the Rams scored in the Super Bowl episode. <laughs> the Rams could go to a lot of Super Bowls before they score 111 points. That's like that's like 37 Super Bowls. I think or the something. most fun part about this year so far, besides the fact that the Seahawks are a legitimately good football team, is that fuck the Rams is back, John. It's back. Not that it ever left, but it's back with a vengeance. <laughs> to watch them come back from 28-3, take the lead, and then you know Josh Allen just marches right down the field on them with a couple of fourth down plays, I think, even along the way. I didn't enjoy that. I. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, immensely. <laughs> I that was that was a special that was a special type of Schadenfreude reserved only for disgusting division rivals. You know, last season watching I, I think I mentioned this on this podcast, but I think I might have gotten more joy out of watching the 49ers lose the Super Bowl in the fashion they did than any Seahawks game throughout the year. And I've gotten a lot of joy out of Seahawks games this year, so I don't oh. think that's necessarily true. But Sunday's game between the Rams and the Bills was Excellent to behold. Seahawks Cowboys wasn't so bad either. I don't know if I've ever seen a first half that full. That was that first it was half had bulbous. everything in it. It was like bursting at the seams. There was so much to pack you, in 30 bulbous. minutes. This is amazing. Did you see that DK Metcalf fumbled on the one? Did you did you see that I play? What you're talking about. Or am I just breaking this, news uh, to you right this now? Sounds like um, fabrication. Sounds like fiction. Something that obviously didn't happen. No. Some people were talking about it, and I, some people were talking about it, and I don't remember it. So I think uh, I think it was some big practical. Joke. I think that I think would the never. reaction to that play, if if your reaction to that play was anything other than ah shit, well, he's not going to do that again, then you're approaching it wrong, and you're approaching <laughs> fandom wrong, and you're approaching the game of football wrong. If you want him to sit on the sideline and sulk as a certain somebody did, whose name sounds surprisingly like that word, sulk. Uh, mentioned and tweeted during the game. I think that you are looking uh, at young players and their development and how they react to negativity during games through the wrong lens. And I'm very happy at the redemption that DeKalen Zacharias Metcalf experienced at the end of that game on Seattle's final drive. Have we seen a moment over the last few seasons for any player on the team that was a purer form of redemption than that? I mean, Tedrick Thompson's interception against the Rams didn't mean a whole lot. That was an incredible yes. moment, and I wrote—I remember writing about that last uh, last October. But it didn't actually mean all that much in the grand scheme of things. This very much meant something in the grand scheme of things. Not going forward. Yeah, and we forget. I mean, you don't forget because you know you're about to enter your twenties here nice. pretty soon. In a few years, That's you'll be great. twenty yourself. But people really sometimes nice, do yeah. things. <laughs> people sometimes do things in their 20s that are uh, not their best decisions. And uh, we forget that sometimes we don't like really have everything all the way figured out, even in our 30s or 40s. And sometimes we get a little bit uh, excited about ourselves and the things that we are doing in a non always not always humble sort of way. And then we learn that lesson. Yeah, maybe this is what happened for him today. A beautiful life uh, today. lesson, if anything. So... That's right. And, you know, to win the game in the end so he doesn't have to be the GOAT, and instead he can be the GOAT. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. Yes! Woo-hoo! Um, 
Did you see how that worked? Do I need to, do I, do I need to explain no, that joke or did you it, get John. it? Um, who's your father of the week? Okay. Uh, man, there's almost too many Seahawk fathers of the week to go through. Um, uh, well, who's yours? I'm going to go with Greg Olson, interestingly enough. I think that Greg Olson's contribution to that game Ooh, that's a- were pretty underrated. He... Um, they really, really he were. He had, I mean, so right before halftime, you have that very bizarre sequence of events where Jalen Smith was called for an illegal contact, which very much was not an illegal contact, but pushed Greg Olson out of bounds ever so slightly. And then Olson gets back in and just Russ, incredible throw from Russ rolling out to his right, hits Olson for a tiptoe, toe-dragging catch at the one-yard line, which sets Seattle up to score a touchdown right before halftime. And if that doesn't happen, I mean, butterfly effect, you never know what happens throughout the rest of the game. And that's another reason why I, I don't put too much stock into the fact that the game would have been out of reach had DK held on to that ball running into the end zone because an entirely different sequence of events would have transpired. But with that being said, on the mm-hmm. final drive, Greg Olson had 15, 20-yard reception early on down the right sideline from Russ. And then he had the key fourth down conversion that kept Seattle on pace to go up. And that was enormous. That wasn't the easiest catch. The ball was low. I mean, not to, not to say that it was a bad yeah. throw, but I mean, Russ, Russ's placement was a little wonky in certain places on Sunday. And yeah, he didn't have, he didn't have a great and game. Yet, and yet he had a he great game. Five <laughs> he didn't have a great game and he had a he great threw game. five touchdowns on his... Uh-huh. It was uh, no. I mean, it, it was Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson were were the biggest heroes, and, and DK Metcalf, of course. But I thought that Greg Olson did a lot of the dirty work that made those things possible. So he was my father of the week. Who's your father of the week, John? I'm gonna go slightly uh, outside the box here. I could name like nine Seahawks as as my fathers. I. Uh, I'm gonna go. You're, there's, you have no, you have no way of seeing this coming. I'm gonna go with Kyle Lewis, whose baseball season right. ended this week. Now, Kyle had a really tough last month of the season. He really stopped hitting the ball a lot in September, but he just put up one of the great rookie seasons. Finished it this week in Seattle Mariners history, and he is. One reason to be kind of cautiously still maybe don't totally buy in because they burned us before optimistic about the Mariners next year. And that was great. You know, you finished the year with an 801 OPS. Man, there's for a rookie. We'll take it. Uh-huh. We're, gonna, we're more, not more, not just going to take that. We're going to take it and one with it next year and see some adjustments and uh, have them turn that, uh, have, it, have him raise that a few points. And become an actual star. Something that the Mariners so, uh, need. There you go. I mean, uh-huh, exactly. So, in a time when everybody's thinking about, you know, we got WNBA finals, we're going to talk with Jordan later. We got the uh, NBA finals starting, you know, like now. And we have uh, obviously a little bit of football going on here and there. It's, I, I have plenty of plenty of podcasts in the future to choose Seahawk Fathers of the Week. So Kyle Very Lewis, nice. good job, great year. So 
as you mentioned, the Seahawks beat the hung on to beat the Cowboys 37, 38-31, excuse me. They scored 38, 35, 38 say, in their first three, say, first three games, which is ridiculous. Can I say maybe yeah. uncle of the week would be yes. Ryan Neal, who uh, who I literally had to look up the roster to see who number 35 was after the interception in the end zone on the last play. I didn't even really remember he was on was the Deshaun team. Deshaun Shedd. And what a, <laughs> what a way to make your debut. So Ryan Neal is my uh, yeah, good backup for him, father man. of the week. Good for Alton Robinson getting a, a sack in his first NFL game. Right? Great to see those guys in their first action succeed oh, on that. That drive. was a crucial, crucial, crucial sack. sack. Crucial sack because it really ruins the rest mm-hmm. of the drive for the Cowboys. Shouts to ben, uh, Benson Mayoa for getting pressure on Dak on that final play, leading to the interception. In- incredible play by Dak to stay on his feet and throw an absolute duck <laughs> to the he, end zone. When he got up, I thought, oh, I don't know if he's an. I thought, oh shit. I know Dak went to this, Mississippi State. I don't know if this, he's an Oregon fan because that last ball was a duck, my friend. That was really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he had all the time yeah. in the world too. Um, I mean, I don't know. He could have just thrown that one away. He could have run it out of bounds. And said, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know, but that was that was really impressive. And of course, everybody, uh, I'm sure half more than half the Seahawks fans were thinking, "Oh, great, not one of these again." Like Tony Romo did six years ago, got a Bruce Irvin's grasp to convert a third and sixteen and score a touchdown in the game the Cowboys would eventually win. Somebody remembers that game, by the way, who's listening. Well, at least greater than or equal to one person. Um, underrated plays. There, there were plenty of plenty of plays, plenty of plays. Uh, to, uh, a plays, couple of which yes. I had mentioned about about um, Greg Olson earlier. But I guess John, what were one or two of the most underrated plays in this game that that you can think of? You know, I think there were a couple of um, early things people don't talk, don't talk too much. Oh, Michael Dixon punting. Uh, people are not talking He's about Michael again. Dixon now. He's good again. They're not, talk, they're not talking about his 56 and 61-yard punts and things like that. Uh, underrated, he kept pinning Dallas deep. And Dallas was going to score a lot of points. But I think pinning them deep probably kept a field goal or a touchdown off the board, and that's a big difference in the game. I think the the big balls Dixon, Dicko punts, yeah, definitely. He had... I'm scrolling through the box right now because I'm doing uh, I'm doing some uh, research in real time. But his uh, punts, my God, 56 yards, followed by 64 yards, followed by, well, I guess he only punted, and then followed by 52 yards. Man. And then 45 yards. That was his bad punt of the day. If it were me, I would just punt the ball 60-plus <laughs> every single time. I don't know what he's doing, but... I mean, I guess we'll have to live with a number one special teams DVOA rating. I guess that's fine. That's acceptable. Uh, they should have fired Brian Schneider two years ago, huh? I, I hope that he's doing well, and I hope that his family is okay with whatever whatever is pulling him away from the game of football. But exactly. Jesus Christ, it was more than it was time long ago to get him off of the yes. sideline. So this is correct. Always wish the coaches the best, especially if they don't do well here. I hope they do well with another yep. team. Um, I think one of the most underrated plays of the game, Shaquille Griffin obviously struggled a bit. I mean, he had an interception, which helped Seattle score, score uh, right before the half. But I think my favorite play of his game was on Dallas's penultimate drive where they ended up kicking a field goal to go up by a point. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Gallup 
uh, ran a go down the right sideline, and uh, and Shaquille Griffin held the red line and forced him out of bounds, and it was nowhere close to being completed, and it could have been if he hadn't held his ground and if he hadn't held the sideline. So good for Shaquille making plays when it mattered most, even though uh, even though he struggled a little bit beforehand. Um, I don't know. He's he's had a very interesting year. Uh, and, and good for him also for having his first interception in like 500 days or whatever it was since week two in 2018 against the Bears when he had it was. two. It was like I'm still times. pissed at Jamar Taylor because Jamar Taylor's holding call on San Francisco's opening drive in Santa Clara last year negated an interception where he was uh, manned up on Emmanuel Sanders. A similar, he jumped a slant by Sanders and and returned it around, but a holding call negated that. Uh, no matter the case, good for Shaquille. Good for him making it count when it mattered most. And also, kudos to Brandon Shell on Seattle's game-winning touchdown. Absolutely stymieing, locking down Alden Smith, who had had his way for much of the game. Alden Smith has given me nightmares, okay? 2013-2012 nightmares, okay? And... I mean, good for him. I mean, great story coming back and, and being a top-notch pass rusher, but um, please don't do that against the Seahawks. Please cut that, cut that okay. shit out, Alden. If you're going to get your life in order and uh, get back to doing what you love and that you're the best at, just do it against yeah, someone else. Exactly. See, and, and I don't think that's too much to ask. Um, and Brandon Shell <laughs> asked him that politely, as you could see, and, uh, and he, he complied. <laughs> Um, with with stunning acquiescence, so I'm very thankful that Alden Smith decided to uh, to to not rush the passer um, by way of Brandon Shell absolutely um, locking him down on Seattle's final offensive play. So um, there's an Ugo Amadi, there's an Ugo Amadi deflection in the first quarter. Do you remember this play? One? It's deep. I know, <laughs> right? One? But the first one, like their on their first Dalton drive, Schultz, first four, right before uh, the end zone. Yep. Yep. Right, and so then Dallas has to settle for three. How big is that? How big of a deal is that at the end? I think of the we game? fucked up, John. I think that both of our choices for Father of the Week were incorrect, and it should be Ugo Amadi for both of us. <laughs> I think losing Marquise Blair was uh, a big blow, yeah. but the drop off to Ugo Amadi does not appear to be really large, and maybe. Ugo's the better player. Ugo's anyway. a gamer, man. Maybe. I mean, you can tell his Ugo. football IQ is off the charts. He. He's undersized. I think but, the most you know, underrated play of the game, the most underrated play of the game was Dallas's two-point conversion on their final touchdown. Thank you. Quandre Diggs, Quandre Diggs gets there first, and then Ugo cleans up the tackle. Tackle. I can't even talk. Tackle yeah. to prevent Dallas from scoring the two-point conversion, which would have been a much bigger deal. That would have tied the game. Would have been a much bigger deal. Had that not been the case, Mike, the the Trey Flowers tip, the Trey Flowers extra extra point tip that changes the game, because then Dallas is going for two a minute later. Name a name a more heated rivalry than Greg Zerline and CenturyLink Field uprights. <laughs> there there aren't oh, many. Man. There sure aren't many. I was just wondering if you had a thing about CenturyLink. Maybe he has a little bit of a mental block now. That would be fine. Because when the Cowboys come here in the playoffs, that'll be really useful. Yeah. The the injury list that was released today, the week week four injury report for Wednesday was like twenty five names yeah. long. Yeah. Um, you don't uh-huh. want to say trap game because you never want to you never want to jinx that. Going to Miami, um, 
might be a good thing this week just to let people get rested. Um, not to say that's going to be an easy game because it's never easy to get a win in the NFL, but if if you had to do something, that this might be the game to uh, to let guys recuperate a little bit. So Seattle travels to Miami uh, next Sunday, and uh, I can already hear Ryan Fitzpatrick screaming at the thought of Alton Robinson bearing down on him. So that is... Uh, actually, Ryan Fitzpatrick is just going to light it up in the second half. I have a question for yes. you, uh, Mike. Should the should the Seahawks always let their opponents pass for 300 yards in the second half? Is that just like a thing we should always start doing right now? Yeah. Because I mean, we kind of did it for Ryan and for Newton, and now for uh, now for Dak. Uh, is that just like a good? Is that like how we should just approach things? Maybe just give them all the yards in the second half. Well. You win every time. Yeah, I mean, the Seahawks were they like ten and zero when their opponents passed for four hundred plus yards in the Pete Carroll era. Um, I think. Th- yeah, it's time to just do it. Just give them the yards. I in think the first that's half causation, and not correlation. Up. You know, I, I think it's pretty definitive. <laughs> as uh, as a statistician and uh, a noted economist, I can make that a uh, I can make that uh, proclamation pretty uh, pretty co- concretely. So yeah, I, I think that maybe we should. Correct, the, the question is, if you up it to 500 yards per game, which they almost hit with Dak, is your margin of victory going to increase? If you let your opponents pass for 500 yes. yards, it's going to be two score victories. And I think that's what the team was missing last that's year. That's right. Every every hundred yards, adds, every hundred yards adds another adds another score of margin yes. of victory. Again, causation, not correlation. So I'm going to throw I'm going to throw one thing before we maybe talk about like. Uh, you know the Titans and the uh, and the Vikings and and the Steelers and all that uh, pandemic news. Here's a here's a fun stat I found this week, and I want you to tell me what you think of this. Uh, all the NFC West quarterbacks combined have 14 passing touchdowns, and Russell Wilson also has 14 passing touchdowns. But Mullins, Garoppolo, Goff, and whoever the guy is over in uh, the other team, uh, Kyler Murray <laughs> together. They all combined for 14 passing touchdowns. And you know who else has 14 passing touchdowns? Russell Wilson. There you go. As many as all of his rivals combined. Yeah, I mean, something... The, what do you think? I, I think it's uh, something that the media is not uh, covering enough. You know, um, Russell Wilson's having a pretty good year, and, you know, the national media is just spurning him repeatedly. <laughs> um, it, it's really surprising, you know. I haven't seen a single... Uh, single mention of this on broadcast or articles or well, Twitter I'll get it out or, there. Um, yeah, all of the above. Yeah. You know, I, I think there maybe is a campaign that, that needs to start. I don't know what the tagline would be for that, but um, I don't know. Russell Wilson for president, yes. I think is the thing. Exactly. Russell Wilson for Jamal Adams. Um, that, <laughs> I, guess, I guess Russell can be the yeah. vice. Um, so COVID-19, still a thing. Things are still bad. Um, and honestly, the way that the NFL has handled it up to uh, yesterday has been pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> it's been surprisingly yeah. good, John. And then it was uh, it was and, it was noted um, and released via a press release that um, several Titans players tested positive for uh, COVID nineteen. Multiple coaches. It's five. It's five coaches, I believe, or five staff. Five staff. So um, let me be the first to say that not great, John. That's not great. Uh, if it, all, if it all comes crashing down, this is how it starts. But it doesn't have to. But certainly this would be the first step in the beginning of the yeah. end. <laughs> that sounds so ominous. But I mean, it kind of is. It, it does, is. It does. But it, doesn't, but it doesn't have to. Like if they just postpone some stuff and they say, uh, we'll put an extra bye week at the end. You guys can make up your game later. 
You wrote before the season started that there wasn't even going to be a season, that it was going to come crashing down pretty quickly. And, John, you made the – you made the, Yeah, I thought training camp might You, you worded it that what happens if uh, none of the Seahawks' uh, defensive back room can play, and you really, you really <laughs> spoke some evil into the world that was interpreted by the football gods in a very different manner. And uh, so, first of all, um, how dare you? Uh, second of all huh. – Fuck me. Fuck me. Yeah. the second thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, where do you think that the league goes from here? Like, do you think this is going to be a regular occurrence? Do you think this is a one-off? What do you expect to happen? Well, it's a good question, right? Like, they did such a good job of uh, in training camp in the first couple weeks of just really keeping people not bubbled, but keeping them insulated. And it's just so long to do it. You can... You can do it for a while, but it's too many people. It's too many people to keep insulated for that long. So I think, I think probably something else like this happens again in three or four or five weeks. And so, but they probably have a contingency plan for that. They probably have like a, all right, well, we'll delay it or we'll do, or we'll wait at the end or we'll, um, or we'll get most of the season in and we'll have the playoffs in April. They probably have something something like that and that's actually what i that's actually one of the outcomes that i wonder if it, that's how it's going to happen if they're going to get x games in and then just finish the finish it in the spring like some of the high schools around here are doing they've already scheduled football for the spring because they figure probably they can distance they have vaccines they have uh they'll have better testing available to them and they can probably pull it off easier that's that's my if you really ask me point blank i think that we're getting a delay in here somewhere you know and I think we're finishing the up thing in that brings uh, March, me April. The solace when I think about all this, and it is, it's it's really reassuring to know that um, the NFL is much more concerned about player safety than money. Definitely, hundred percent, no question. So, I mean, what could go wrong, John? What could go wrong? And and plus, you have Roger Goodell at the really home. thoughtful, caring and man. His next mistake yeah, will be exactly. His first. Yeah, it'll be his next mistake will be the first of Every tenure, step so. calculated, thoughtful. So. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's reassuring to know that the the league has such um, such high quality um, elite echelon leadership. Um, so Jesus Christ, and its, it's priorities all in a row. I don't I don't know, yep. man. I don't know if this is going to turn out well. <laughs> but and you know the NBA and WNBA pulled it off, and they could always learn from bubble. those leagues. I mean, they're having their finals. They're having their finals now, starting, you know, as we speak. I'm sure putting 1,500 players plus hundreds of coaches into Disney World would work out really well. <laughs> yeah, they had the yeah. right idea, though. But they pulled you know, it off. This is a little bit, a uh, little bit depressing in the grand scheme of things. Let's talk about some things that are uh, a little bit happier, and that is the fact that our Lakers and our Storm are in the NBA and WNBA Finals, respectively. John, this is exciting. John, this is wonderful. John, this is great. And we have a great guest, Jordan Liggins.
Joining us now, basketball connoisseur and multi-hyphenate from The Ringer, Jordan Liggins. Jordan, what's going on? Hey, happy to be here. Oh, really cool. Really glad to have you at a time that is super interesting. By the way, hi, I'm John. Actually, we should probably say hi on the podcast just so people think you know we're meeting right now for the first time ever. <laughs> uh, it's such a cool time that we have the WNBA Finals and the NBA Finals going on at the, in the same week. How is this even possible? The pandemic is, sucks. It's the worst thing ever to happen except for sports. It's like the best thing right now. We have all the sports in the world going on right now. I know. It's actually really great. The only sad thing is I know that they're all going to stop at the same time, which I'm trying <laughs> not to think about. But yeah. that is like the, the saddest part. But I'm so happy to have the NBA and the WNBA. My Lakers are on. And they're they're going to win the finals this year, and all everyone loves the WNBA now. We're talking about it, and so the that conversation makes me so has happy. become pervasive. Well, especially up yeah. here, the That's Storm, cool. the Storm are in the finals. Yes, our Storm. Excuse you said you're a Lakers, oh, but well, let's not get uh, it twisted, uh, John. Basically, our I'd like to see the Lakers right. versus the Storm as a podcast. I just want to see the Lakers, Lakers versus the Storm. All right. Let's make sure that we <laughs> let's let's enunciate and tell the people what's really going on here. We are a pro Lakers podcast. Let's make sure that people know this. Please continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> right. Le- LeBron Goat. I just want to see the Lakers try and guard Sue Bird because, I mean, that's just not happening, so, right? One of the- yeah. That would actually be interesting. I would pay a so, lot of money. I, I do <laughs> want to ask you uh, how you fell in love with the game of basketball, Jordan. But quickly, since John kind of brought this up, I have a very important question for you. What would you rather do? Lie down and take a nap on a bed made entirely of poison-coated knives or contest Sue Bird from behind the arc in the fourth quarter of an elimination game? I feel like this is a trick question. Does she have a mask on or no? Because mask Sue Bird She does have a mask. The mask is present. I mean... I don't think that Diana Taurasi has gotten over that. The The knives don't sound... Yeah, the knives don't sound so bad right now because that would be a three in my okay, eye. Perfect. Well, I, I'm glad that we're all on the same page here. But so, like I mentioned, you said you're a Lakers fan and you're you're a WNBA fan um, ubiquitously. I mean, what? How did you fall in love with basketball? What draws you to the game? And and how did you become a fan of of your teams? I fell in love with basketball when I was five years old. That's when I started playing. Um, I have an older brother, so I just wanted to be like him in every possible way, and that meant playing basketball. Um, I I loved it. I'm a very, very competitive person, and I feel like growing up playing sports really brought that out of me, and I it, it's carried over to everything in my life. Um, how I play basketball is how I am in my career, and how I go after things and being tenacious. So sports really taught me that. For as for my teams, um, I just I ad- <laughs> my dad was a Lakers fan, and that's all I knew. And so I was like, yeah, I'm a Lakers fan. And even when I started playing basketball, my very first team I played on, we were the Lakers. And I was like, you know, that's destiny. This feels right. This feels right, and this is who I am. So we had big, bright, yellow T-shirts, and that's that's how it started. Um, as for the WNBA side, you know, growing up playing basketball, it was amazing to see women at a you know professional level 
doing what I was doing and something that I could possibly, you know, achieve one day if I worked hard. And so having that example is why the WNBA is so important for um, not only people at college, the college level or overseas, but young girls as well. Um, but I was a Monarchs fan. RIP. Sacramento Monarchs. Oh. All oh, day. Yeah. They've been gone a while. They had those, oh. those suave purple jerseys, right? Yes! I was just wearing my t-shirt jersey. I still have it. She signed it when I was 11 years old. The Sharpie has worn off, but I still have it. And I can still fit it, too, which is... Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of worrisome. I think that's when I stopped growing. <laughs> so if you watch the Lakers with your dad, was was this like the 90s Lakers? Is this like earlier? Because I, I watched the Magic Johnson, James Worthy, uh, Cooper Rambis, Lakers. That was my jam because I'm an old guy. Uh, yeah, yeah it, well, I just re I specifically remember, you know, just Kobe at his prime. That's oh, that's exactly where I grew up. And, you oh, know, man. my name is Jordan and <laughs> we are a big basketball <laughs> household. So I was a baby watching, you know, Michael Jordan. But my Laker memories are, you know, everything with Kobe, Shaq and Kobe. And oh, especially I'm, I'm from Sacramento and just being a Lakers fan in Sacramento was, <laughs> it was huh. amazing. It was priceless, really. It's so all those, yeah. It's kind of fun to be the heel sometimes, to be the, to be the outer towner. There's, a, there's nothing to be said about that. It was a lot of fun, especially when the Kings and the Lakers played each other, sure. you know, in those, in those playoff series. Oh, it was, it was great. You know, I can, uh, I can absolutely sympathize in it. Well, empathize with that, I guess, because, you know, Jordan, I'm a lifelong Lakers fan um, from July 1st, 2018 onward. Uh, you know, I'm a, a, a transplant from <laughs> Cleveland and Miami before that. Um, I mean, it's been, it's uh, been absolutely yeah. priceless to watch the narrative shift from the end of last season and all the questions swirling around LeBron James and, oh, is he done? He's finally slowing down. Uh, time has caught up to him, and he drags this roster to the finals. And I don't want to say drag because they, they've got some dogs on that team. But um, the most important part of this postseason, besides the fact that LeBron is still sunning people left and right, is the fact that the Clippers still fucking suck. So I want to hear it from you. I'm going to give you free reign, <laughs> a sentence, two sentences, a paragraph, an essay, a treatise, whatever, whatever you want to throw down. Why do the Clippers suck, Jordan? Slander the shit out of them. Go for it. Playoff P is way off P. Oh, and yes. that's where I'm going to start. Paul yes. George is a nobody. Um, Patrick Beverly has everybody fooled. He's just out there running around in circles. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's nobody. Kawhi Leonard, he's a great guy. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. But the Clippers are terrible, and they deserved everything that has happened to them. And you know what? Doc Rivers is too good of a guy for Paul George to just ruin his family on multiple levels. Oh, my levels. God. The storylines were just, there were so many. There were so many. And you just saw, you saw when, uh, when the Clippers were playing the Mavericks uh, in the first round when Seth Curry was fouled at the rim. And it wasn't even Paul George, but he turned over and he talked that shit and you knew that it was, you knew that they weren't going to go far after that. Even though the Mavericks couldn't take care of business, you knew that it was over at that point. Definitely. He was.
was waiting for that. He talked to his wife and he said, I'm going to do this because I love you and because Paul George mm. is trash. So that's exactly what happened. And that's why the Clippers got exactly what they deserve. And now everybody's turning on him. Oh, so that's great. even the best part. It was great because um, as somebody that also loves to talk shit about the Houston Rockets, especially after they broke my heart and couldn't uh, close it out a few years ago against the Warriors in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Um, it was, I think it was some sort of cosmic justice after Oklahoma City couldn't finish out Game 7. And yes, maybe that's a sacrilegious thing to say as a Seattle sports fan that I was rooting for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But that would have been an all-time night on Twitter.com, and we didn't get it then, so the Clippers had to come through and give it to us. So before we, before we move on to the NBA Finals, I just want to put it out there. I think it's the funniest thing ever. I read this in-depth piece by Zach Harper on The Athletic earlier today where it said that Kawhi Leonard's first choice to join him in L.A. was Jimmy Butler, and I had no idea that that was the case. And I think that is so funny. Just everything that has culminated in this finals, uh, this finals matchup and just the fact that Paul, Paul George is Paul George and uh, the Clippers are the Clippers. Yeah, I also read, or I think um, Kevin Durant came out and said that Kawhi called him out of the blue. So Paul George was not <laughs> the was... first choice, and we know that, and he knows it. Deep down in his heart, he knows he was like seventh on that list, and he's the only one that said yes. 100%. So, so the Lakers are in the finals. They're playing the Heat. Um, you, you already guarantee the Lakers win. So that, that's your prediction. That's set in stone. That is etched in indelible ink. The real question is, Yes. We know who the greatest players in this series are, okay? We know that LeBron, AD, Jimmy Buckets, I mean, these guys are incredible. Who is the greatest weird player in this series? Because we have some characters on our hands. I, I want to know who you think is, you, you can interpret that in any way you want, the greatest weird player in this series. You can, you can list multiple. I'm going to go with Solomon Hill for... <laughs> my number one spot because there was a lot of things that have happened in 2020, but seeing Solomon Hill in an NBA final is probably playing extended the most minutes, playing extended minutes, guarding LeBron James. And I saw a meme that because he just looks very homely. I don't know where he came from, but someone was like, you know, he's been to 2021 and he's seen some shit. <laughs> That's why. He's coming back and looking so bogged down, but he is just a surprise. And when I first saw him, I'm like, who is that? Where did he come from? So that's probably my weirdest player. And then also, I, I, I was going to say J.R. Smith. I was going to say J.R. Smith. That's yeah, perfect. <laughs> I don't know if weird is the right word, but he is just the cheerleader of all cheerleaders. And he's just he's just riding LeBron's coattails. LeBron gave him a job, and he's about to get another championship. For the doing most absolutely underrated aspect of this is going to be if the Lakers win, we get to see more content of J.R. Smith celebrating an NBA championship, and that is, we deserve that. This year has been dog shit all the way through. We need that. Okay, we deserve that. Can he still celebrate shirtless? Does he still oh, have like the body? Oh, JR still cut. It's. It, I mean. It's, it's time. We need this. We deserve this. It's another instance of cosmic justice coming our way. Another one of those guys, you know, those guys who like are along for the ride in a championship like that. Sometimes, especially a vet, you know, sometimes they'll just have that one game 
for that one quarter where they're just completely unstoppable and they change the course of the series. I wonder, yeah, it's interesting that you say JR, because I wonder if he could just like not take over a quarter, but make the difference in one game. And then, you know, they win in seven and you're like, wow, would we have won the series without JR Smith? I totally agree. He needs to be subbed in for Danny Green, like (laughs) immediately. And I will first, he starts next game. Jared Smith hasn't played in 10 years, but he comes in, he starts over Danny Green, and I think all Laker fans would be like, this is a good move. Like, I'm my okay first, with it. And then we'll just My not first talk thought about watching again. Danny Green in the first quarter of this game um, was, you know that video of Stephen A. Smith where he says, I think we should consider having them arrested. That's all I can think of when I saw he, he was just flubbing it left and right. It was pretty bad. But so before we move on to the WNBA Finals, I have a question I do not know that if this is the case, but I think it might be. Do you remember in the 2016 NBA Finals, Anderson Varejao was on the Cleveland Cavaliers earlier that season, and then he was on the Warriors during the Finals. So no matter who won, he was going to get a ring. Are we guaranteed that Deion Waiters gets a ring this year? Oh my God, I just remembered yeah. that. You're giving her story That's ideas. amazing. Wait. This is going to be. I hadn't thought about this until five seconds ago. We get NBA champion Dion Waiters, no matter what. This is phenomenal. He can take all the weed gummies that he wants. This is great. Good for him. The best news I think I have heard all year long. Because if you just think about the type of year, what a year that he's had. He's not even getting suited up. No one even knows what his injury is. Is it made up? He's just not even really on the roster. He's just there. And he's still going to get a ring. And that's perfect. That is what the basketball gods wanted. And that's what they got. And I'm so happy for, for Dion Wade. <laughs> that's the best thing ever. So... Are we ready to jump into the main course here? I was going to say, uh, what we all that, came for? That, that may not be the best thing ever because the best thing ever is that the Storm are back in the finals. After a year last year where they were ravaged totally... by injury. Ravaged by injury with Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird oh. missing all of in the majority of the season. The Seattle Storm are back. And they are playing. Remember how good they were so good. They were, they were last... so good. They were so good last year without them that we knew that once and they came back, they were going to start to dominate. Natasha Howard's Behold. emergence during last yeah. season and and Jewel Lloyd, Alicia Clark, all all of them stepping up to the plate. Jordan sure. Canada, yeah. um, Sammy Whitcomb. So the Las Vegas Aces ground it out last night against a Connecticut Sun team. That was a disgusting game, Jordan. Okay, that was absolutely despicable <laughs> basketball, and I loved every second of it. Okay, Asia Wilson, I need, I need to look up this stat, okay? Um, the Aces had 13 points in the fourth quarter, and Wilson scored 11 of them, nine of them from the free throw line. That, that was, a, that was a, a horrible, ugly it. game, but it was the MVP taking over in the waning moments to take her team to the finals. I guess what can we expect... Because the Aces are without Liz Cambage. They don't have Kelsey Plum. Hamby went down with an injury. Outside of the reigning MVP, I guess, why is this team a threat to still win at all? Obviously, they've shown grit, if you want to use that cliche, which this Miami Heat team as well has shown with aplomb. Um, why, why can the Aces win at all against a dominant yeah. uh, Storm team? I think they won it. They, not I saying that. that the Storm don't, but I, I think that 
No one expected them to be here without Liz, without Kelsey Plum. I think a lot of people counted them out, especially because Asia didn't have a great year last year. Um, everybody was, you know, expecting her and Liz to kind of dominate. And I felt like she got lost. She didn't get a lot of touches and she emerged as the MVP. And and I feel like they're just willing their way. They're going to will their way. I don't I don't know if they're going to win, but they're going to make it interesting and I think it's going to be up to Angel McCautry. She's going to need to show her veteran presence. And she's been here before. She's the only one that has actually been here before. And, and she's going to have to be who she was these past couple games. You don't think that they'll just be happy to be there? Or do you think that maybe that's just a myth when a team is in the finals, that they're just happy to be there? Because I, I think don't. it's totally myth. I think it's bullshit. I think yeah. there's no way. When they get there, they want to win. But. For sure. And I think they have a little confidence. You know, they're the only team that beat Seattle twice throughout the regular we season. Don't, we don't talk about that. That's not that's not something that we were mentioned. We're, we're, we're big fans of statistical <laughs> And I will, I'll so. give it to you that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just. That I'm was a just fact good. checker, so I, oh, I apologize. I, I can't do that. Our natural born but, nemesis. But I know that Brianna. <laughs> I know Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird didn't play the, their last meeting and Sue Bird didn't play either of their meetings. But I think that they they have a little confidence coming in to say, we know that we can beat this team. This isn't something that I think if the Connecticut Sun would have won, it would have been like, OK, you have multiple mountains of crime. You beat got you were lost by like 20 points plus in those meetings. So I, I'm excited to see them not be just excited and satisfied that they're there, that they actually, you know, claw their way to a couple victories in this series. On the other side, I think it's great for the Storm that they're playing the Aces. I mean, it's not great that they lost twice. There's definitely matchup troubles. But I think that they'll have extra motivation, not extra motivation, but they'll have maybe a little extra anger or something. They'll be like, oh, man, these guys? And they'll be pissed, a little extra pissed off, I think, which... You know, it, all that little, those little tiny bits of motivation, I think, help. Everyone comes into these with huge amounts of motivation, like, okay, we can do this. They're pro athletes. They don't get unmotivated. But just those little tiny edges that you can get, I think, can make all the difference. And I think the Storm have a real edge of Is being pissed off. Is there a way that we losses. can request ahead of time another fuck you moment from Sue Bird, similar to that of the Game 5 against the Phoenix Mercury <laughs> a couple of years ago with Mask, Mask Sue? Because, I mean, she's a sniper. She's incredible. And next to her is Brianna Stewart, okay? So the next question is, is Brianna Stewart the greatest player of all time, and why is that unequivocally true? <laughs> Brianna Stewart is a great, great player. And how I think, um, you know, that last game against Minnesota really proved that in the sense that she really can't be stopped. Like, you can try to double-team her, even Afisa Collier, which I think she did a great job, it still wasn't enough. And she's still going to go off. She's going to hit her shots. And she had a torn Achilles just last year. And that is something that a lot of people forget about, myself included. Sometimes I'm watching her play and I'm like, oh, I missed this from last year. Oh, wait, two years ago. She didn't even play last year. So she's going to be up there in, in you know, the GOAT conversation for the rest of her career. She has to be. And I think getting another championship only solidifies that more. Aren't the storm just too deep though? They are. 
They are. <laughs> First of all, Jewel Lloyd is is one of my favorite players. So and underrated. that is, you know, the golden mamba <laughs> is what they called her. You know, she has that mamba mentality. Kobe, you know, helped her and trained her. So she could go off for 35 herself at any point. They have like four or five or people needed. that can do that and, at any point, at any given day. Yeah. And, and I think that's where eight, the aces are going to run into some trouble. But you have someone like Carolyn Swords, who is really just a fill-in player. She's yeah. one of my favorites um, oh. at, from just the playoffs in this season. Somebody that wasn't going to play basketball this year, but since Liz opted out, she was like, okay, yeah, I'll be your starting center. Like, it was a huge job and a lot of pressure, but no one was really looking for her to score. But the last game, she really stepped up and made some really big plays for them when they needed it. And I think that that gives her some more confidence, too. And she comes into this series so like, So would you describe Carolyn Swords as a weapon? <laughs> would you describe... <laughs> you, <laughs> Secret weapon. <laughs> um, you had mentioned earlier that you, you thought that Angel McCautry would need to step up if the Aces wanted to have a chance. So I'm, I'm guessing the next question I had for you was, um, who's the MVP for either team when they win this series if it's not Asia Wilson, if it's not Brianna Stewart or Sue Bird? So I'm guessing your answer for the Aces is Angel McCautry? Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. She has to. Um, I'm, I'm actually writing the preview story that's going to go Friday. And um, I found out through research that in 2010, um, Sue Bird beat her Atlanta Dream. Uh, they swept them for the finals. More anger. And Brilliant. Angel, when I talk. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so when I talked to Angel earlier this year, you know, talking to her more about the social justice thing, I asked her, you know, what are you expecting out of the season? What do you want to get out of it? And she wants a ring. She said that that was the first thing. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be on a new team. We'll figure it out. No, I want to go to the finals again, and I want a championship. So that has been on her mind all season long. And I think she's just been waiting for the finals and the playoffs to really emerge and a little bit of payback to Sue Bird because who doesn't want that? You know, that's that she hasn't forgotten that when they swept them 3-0 in 2010. Sue Bird's been in the league 20 years. Everybody's played Everybody's played her. Everybody's lost to her. I'm joking. She's probably as well, like 15. Seriously, like 15 years. But she's beaten everybody. Everybody hates her. She really has. And I, I think that the Aces are are using their time. It's our time. Seattle. The old, the old Seattle players, it's their time to be done. That's it. The, I mean, a geriatric I mean, Seattle I mean, Storm team. I mean, sports How old are. Is she? She's like 38 or something for real, right? Yeah. No, she is. She's been in the league uh, since 2002. 2002. Yeah. Yep. Okay. She was. See, I was joking. I said 20 years. That's not really Bird, joking. No, Sue you're Bird not. turned 40 years old. Or turns 40 years old in 16 days. Yeah. Oh, this is her 40th birthday. You can't ruin. We. You cannot ruin a woman's 40th birthday we, party. It is just. We love too a tenured rude. queen. Um. So. <laughs> the the flip side of that question is okay if the storm are going to win this and realistically if they do Brianna Stewart or Sue Bird are potentially the MVP but who is their MVP if it's not those two who is going to be the person that steps up and and takes the mantle of finals MVP in the stead of either of those two 
I think I'm going to go with um, Alicia nice. Clark. And nice. I, I was debating Jewel Lloyd, but, uh, you know, Alicia, she was first team all defensive. She probably should have won defensive player of the year. She has really been unstoppable on that end of the floor. And you have to have that enforcer, that three and D person to, you know, add to their already deep roster. She is one of those anchor players to me on that Seattle Storm team. She's kind of the third person that I think of right outside of Sue and Stewie. So I would say that, you know, it comes down the stretch. She um, puts on her cape and she just stops everyone defensively and would win finals MVP like a like a Iguodala did, you know, for stopping LeBron type of deal. Um, I, I can see that happening if it's not Sue Bird or Stewie. I think you got to think about Natasha Howard to an extent and the fact that she does the same sort of thing. She's not going to win MVP, but she plays so hard on both ends that she, I think people overlook kind of what she does on the defensive end as well. And I think that that's something that will help the Storm. There will definitely be a larger factor than people think if the Storm, excuse me, when the Storm there wins. There it is. Well, that's a perfect segue. What is your official prediction? Who wins and in how many games, Jordan? I think it goes five. I'm going to say five because I want that. I want the most WBA basketball we could possibly We deserve it, okay? Yes, we do deserve that. That game five last night, even though it was ugly and the Sun only scored 18 points in the whole second half, that was lovely and all the basketball that we can get, I'm hoping for. But I do think Seattle gets it. Um I am a huge Gary Kloppenberg fan. Fun little fact. I went to school with his daughter and played basketball with her. And I'm rooting for him. He's a fantastic coach. So in that way, I want Seattle to win. But I'm secretly rooting for the Aces. Not really secretly. I have an Aces jersey. (laughs) Yes. I want it to go five and just be crazy. And everybody's watching it. And it's on an off night from the NBA Finals, so we can really just devote all our time towards it. That's what I'm rooting for. Well, the inner chaotic evil within me salutes you for that. Um, So with that being said, John, what's your prediction? Well, I really think that the uh, Storm won this title last year. (laughs) I think think they – no, I'm serious. I think they won this championship last year when they they had to develop all their players and give them – all the minutes to really find themselves and grow in their craft. And I think when that happened and they turned into a playoff team last year, I think that's when they won the championship this year. I think they'll win it in four. So then the real question is, if if the Storm do pull it out this year, which of course we will, they will, um, or do we have a dynasty on our hands? Because, I mean, you have two championships in three years. The year in between is largely due to injury. I guess, what's the outlook for this team moving forward after this season? Yeah, but see, the dynasty's going to... I love everybody but Sue, but the, she's... I don't know how they're going to win without her. I guess they can't. They're five deep. So I don't, we were just talking about Jewel Lloyd. <laughs> I know. Jewel Lloyd, I know, the golden I know, Mamba. but... I know. Yeah, and Jordan, and Jordan Canada. Canada. And Jordan Canada. I know. Going off of what you said last year, I feel like last year was an amazing year for Jordan Canada. Yeah. And she is going to only build on that. She's early in her career. And just coming 
I think I was most impressed with Seattle um, at the very the very first game of this season. I had my eyes on everybody. I'm like, this is a weird season. Who's going to step up? I already know things are going to get weird. But Seattle came in already just playing as a team. They didn't need to figure things That's out. Okay. That's a good and point. And they were also in incredible shape. You saw those first couple games of the season. People were gas and Seattle was not and that's how they were blowing people out early so I think if they are like okay what worked this year we came in good shape we had a great training camp or and we were prepared if they do that for the next couple years it with or without Sue they're gonna be very hard to beat because everybody else is still figuring it out you know I think of a Atlanta dream team who's gonna be good in like three years but in between those times, Seattle does have a chance for a dynasty, honestly. And that's that's something that gets thrown around a lot when teams win multiple championships, and it's obviously it's it's obviously very difficult because it, the qualifications for a dynasty are hefty; they're very high. But but there is potential with generational, if you will, players such as such as <laughs> Brianna Stewart um, and. Sue Bird's playmaking Fair once enough. she retires will obviously be missed. Um, and it really does come down to who fills that void. So, But they, they, they definitely have some promising candidates to assume that role. So, with I think you've got to win three for a dynasty, I, though, Mike. Exactly. Two is not, two's not exactly. a dynasty. No, that's a, a, Nobody. A, preceding a dynasty would be a championship here. <laughs> but with that being said, with that being said, I think it's time to move to our final segment, John, and that is overrated, underrated. John, please explain the rules to Jordan. Oh, I have to explain the rules again. That's right. So here's how underrated, overrated, excuse me, I don't even say it right anymore. It's like I don't even know this segment that we've done 111 times, which isn't an exaggeration. Overrated, underrated works like this. So I give you a thing or a person or a place or anything. And your, jo your one job, Jordan, is to declare whether it is overrated or underrated. Yes, let's you do it. You may not call it properly rated. That's a dodge. This is not a political debate. We do not allow dodges by any of <laughs> any no no fake answers. We want you to declare whether it's, you can interpret the question any way you want, but you must Perfect. declare if it is overrated or underrated. All right, underrated, overrated. All right, the flavor pumpkin. After all, we are in October now since we released this on October first. This is true. Uh-huh. Halloween and decorations so are allowed now because it's October 1st. That's right. Overrated or underrated? Pumpkin flavor. Overrated. It's, overrated. it's bad. I hate everything no, it's pumpkin. Bad. It's bad. Oh. It's objectively bad. Oh. And it's too much. It's like become... It's just taken over all of fall. I'm oh, oh. I'm beer right John, now. You know what? You're, it's oh, it's rich, but in a really bad way. It's it's just too much, and I just want like everything else back from fall, and pumpkin can just go away somewhere. And I don't like Halloween either. Overrated. Overrated. Oh, this is this it is. is uh, this is my next Fact. question because we're doing for every guest in for every guest in October. I'm you asking them overrated or underrated See, she Halloween, gets it. and it sounds like you have very sounds like you have very strong. So food. overrated. So I do actually. Why? 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 Why is this? Do you not like? Candy? I don't like. I. I well, I don't like anything scary. I hate being scared. And when I was younger, I was really scared one time going trick or treating, 
and I've never came back from that. <laughs> this is deep trauma. Yeah, this is traumatic. No, but also I don't like any scary movies. I just don't really get why people dress up and costumes are really expensive. And I'm just like, can we just ignore this whole day? We don't need it. Oh, I have the whole wrong theme for all of my overrated <laughs> underrated today. This is terrible. How about this one? Overrated or underrated? The Forest. This is going to be terrible. This is the one I had prepared. And you're going to tell me, oh, no, I'm sorry. I had a bad experience in a forest <laughs> when I was. She was uh, trick-or-treating in a forest, seven. John. You didn't I got hear that. Lost. I was well, lost for six hours. They had to send a search party for me. This is just probably the worst one for me oh my because God. I'm going to say overrated just because I don't like Oh, outside. my God. I'm not an outdoorsy person. Oh, my God. So, actually, social distancing. Let's do this. Overrated or underrated? Social distancing. Underrated. Okay, we need see, to, gotcha. yeah, we need to talk about it more. People need to do it more. And we're not talking about it enough. Yeah, I mean, hanging out with people is overrated in itself. So, this is like... I mean, the world's on fire and everything is that, bad, but like that's a silver lining, right? Like you don't have to go anywhere. So stay Zoom inside, parties over actual right? parties every day. Podcasts, even hanging out with hey, people. Hey, can podcasts. I just say? Can I interject and say Happy National Podcast Day to you both? It's wonderful to be here with you both. Yes. Wow, doing a podcast on National yes, Podcast Day. Exactly. <laughs> um, what a, what's, what a, what's next, John? Uh, hold on. Stop pressuring me. Gosh. I can't believe you're drinking uh, do we wanna, so bad. Do we want to ask? Let's do this. Overrated or underrated? The Los Angeles Lakers. Uh-huh. That's right. Think about it. Think about there it. There it is. Oh. There it is. <laughs> why? You don't have to justify it, but why? Since I'm asking you to justify it. They're underrated because... Nobody is rooting for us right now. I was just on another call all um, earlier today, and everyone was like, Lakers suck. They're not going to win. They're terrible. I'm like, wow, you're underrating our power and how good we are and how we're going to send threats to Frank Vogel if he doesn't binge Danny Green. And so you're you're <laughs> underestimating us Laker fans. They're already typed up. They haven't been postmarked yet, but they're on the way. Interestingly enough, I'm going to say overrated because of the fact that on 538, it gives the Heat a 76% chance of winning the finals, even though the Lakers are up by like 20 points right now in game one. This is pregame, of course, but even though the Lakers are obviously not underrated, I'm going to say they're underrated because of that one specific one specific number. Really, you're really That's looking terrible. for that chip on the shoulder, big real time, hard. Big right? time. <laughs> yeah, we, we're just we're manufacturing job, chips job. here. Okay, nice we're, we're we're digging through clutter to find whatever we can, some semblance of a chip to put on Vine's shoulder. But all right, should we do the final two? All right, let's do the final Jordan, two. You can go for it. Is it? Um, you are a Lakers fan. Have you spent? Uh, well, shit. You live in California. You said you grew up in Sacramento. Overrated or underrated? Oh yeah, this you, is very important. Overrated or underrated? In and out. Overrated. A California resident. Yes, you, can, you can totally. She can come this back to the podcast. This is wonderful. 
reinvited at this point. Here's the thing. I probably am not the best person to <laughs> ask that because I was a pescatarian for like 10 years and then I still don't eat beef, but I don't like their fries. So even just like on go. a fries level. There you go. We're good. I don't, I, no, no, completely over. Exactly. Succinct, valid, both. All right. Thank you. All right, Jordan Liggins, the most important question of the entire podcast, overrated or underrated, the Seattle Storm. It's <laughs> a great reaction. Let the record show that she is yeah, covering for the last face. two. You've given oh, great, great no. visible reactions to these last two questions. This is fantastic. <laughs> I really didn't know what was coming, and I was so bad at the start of it, so I was really scared. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with overrated because I think that people are forgetting that the Aces have beat them. And I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk as everybody else is thinking. I'm hoping that the Aces are going to fight in a couple and, and get a couple wins out of this, but I would. That's the only reason why I say overrated. They're an amazing team. They're a great team. They're a championship-worthy team. But I, I think people are saying it's going to be easy, which isn't isn't fair. It's never easy in a final series, even when it looks great. easy. Even when a team sweeps, it's never it's easy. It's hard. I have, I have two yeah. things to say in response. The first of which is, how dare you? Uh-oh. How dare you? Don't say <laughs> The second being, I think that just about wraps it up. Jordan? Agent of Chaos, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Let everybody know. <laughs> thank you. Let so everybody much. know where they can find you on Twitter and your work online. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jordan Liggins and follow theringer.com for all my WNBA awesome. coverage. Well, yeah, check out check out Jordan's work at The Ringer with uh, her WNBA finals preview coming on Friday and everything else that is coming out on theringer.com through both the NBA and WNBA finals. And with that, that has been the 111th episode of Tasteful Profanity, which is, as always, a Beast Poe production. My name is Mike, and you can find me on Twitter at Michael B. Jargon. That's still really weird to say after I change the handle. You can find John on Twitter at John David Fraley. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Beast Poe. You can find our work at BeastPoe.com. John David Fraley, throw it up. All right. L-O-P. Love our podcasts.